Blog Talk Radio. Hello there. Tonight's episode partner for Ready to Unload number 177 is Gun Hill Brewing Company, a new craft brewery located in the Bronx dedicated to bringing high-quality, handcrafted beers to the New York metropolitan area. I have had it, and it is delicious. Gun Hill Gold. So good. Join them this weekend on May 24th for a Memorial Day weekend party with a barbecue rig from Jimmy's Number 43. That's a good barbecue joint here in New York. At the brewery, in their tasting room from 12 to 7 p.m. Go to gunhillbrewingco.com for details. Okay, now for Ready to Unload, number 177, talking New York sports. Nice. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We're tonight's entertainment. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Johnny and the mothers are playing something at the Savoy in Vermont tonight. Berman's gonna kill my brother at the Savoy Theater tonight. I didn't say that. No, but I know this grapevine. Why would I put it there? Kindness? 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 You stole it! He stole it! We have top men working on it right now. Who? Top men. Episode number 177. Coming to you live from Comac, New York, Bayside, New York, and Freehold, New Jersey. Yes, it's the Ready to Unload New York Sports Talk type program. Hi, I'm Sam Pete. Welcome to the program. Hi, so nice of you to join us. If you're joining us live, if you're listening to this in podcast form, uh, go get another set. Go another setup. Do some more reps. Maybe another mile on the bike. Does anybody ride a bike anymore? It's all ellipticals now. Hi, PJ. PJ rides a bike. He just raised his hand so politely. Hi, welcome to the show. Uh, we're going to talk uh, New York sports nice. That's what we do here. Uh, we've done it quite often. So uh, we're so glad you could join us. It is Thursday, May the 22nd, 2014. It is 10 p.m. This time for Radio on the with Cal and say, Pete, okay. Let's bring in the co-host of the program, the guy called... Cal. Wow, well done, well done. I can, I don't know if I could do that again. He's the man named... Cal. <laughs> uh, Mr. Brian Calniva Calpino Caliente. Hi, Brian. Oh, yeah, get it up. Let's get it up. Let's get it up for Brian. Cal State Fullerton. Cal? Oh, I think so. 
Brian Calvi. Hey, Bri. Hi, Steve. What is up, dog? What? <laughs> what the what? What? What are you doing? This is crazy. Happy uh, happy uh, show number 177, kid. 177, and they said it wouldn't last. They did. They, specific, they, they specifically said you will never get to 177 episodes, episodes. I don't know why they picked that number. Is the they always the same they yes. in that scenario, no matter who you're talking to? Correct. Okay. I think that that should be like a, a sort of ethnicity of people, the they's. The they's? Them. And they live in Vayville. They do talk, oh, don't they? Yes, they do. Hi, buddy. Hi. You're wearing a Mets hat. Nah, it's a white hat. It says New York on it. It's a Mets hat. You can't fool me. That's all it is. You're not putting anything past me, sister. That's a I'm Mets having hat. a bad hair day. How, how are you outside of that? You <laughs> need a hat. Do we get to have bad hair days anymore at age 40? Aren't they all at this point? <laughs> no. Oh. No, I have the occasional good hair day. You do? Great. You have to define good. I guess it's all relative when you're yes. just the our age. Yes, it's sort of an amorphous turn. Uh, term. Turn. It's an Man. amorphous turn. My mouth is not working tonight. It's it a turn of phrase. It is going to be a disaster. No, it's going to be great. It's going to be hot sports action tonight. Well, it, <laughs> wow, it is? Okay. Yeah. You, oh, you, didn't, you must not have read the episode page then. I did not. I wrote the episode page, my friend. You didn't read it, though. The episode page is handcrafted like the beers from our episode partner tonight, Gun Hill Brewing Co. The Gun Hill Brewing Company, uh, located in, uh, well, the Bronx, Cal. They make delicious beers. And they're having a, a, a barbecue in their tasting room up in the Bronx. So they're, they're our co-sponsors for this one. For this hot action sports podcast. How, how are you, though, man? You, you keep asking me that, and I told you because, I'm good. Because you had 37 dance recitals in a 36-hour in a period. And I'm, con- I, I'm concerned about the estrogen levels that were present around you. A lot. Like, did you just go home and, like, eat a steak? And, like, what did you do? How do you, how do you, how do you get the testosterone back? I came home... And put on an Adele record, made myself some tea. A spot of tea? No, wasn't a spot. Well, we weren't British. We were just female. Oh, my bad. Did you take, <laughs> a, take a bubble bath? <laughs> I, I drew a bath. Mm-hmm. Chamomile tea. Put some salt in. With some candles. Yep. I had a little quiet time, a little me time. <laughs> I had to do me. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad to see uh, you're back. Yeah, I'm back. That was some weekend though, and 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 it was five recitals in two days. Both my girls danced, and and they knocked it out of the park. I'm so proud of them. That's awesome. I would go to ten in two days if it meant seeing them up on stage. Look at you, Some, really proud. Somebody's bucking for dad of the year. I I got a mug. Somebody it needs a new. Declared me the dad of the year. So. Somebody's looking for a new T-shirt or a new hat. Number one dad hat. Speaking of number one dads, let's bring this guy in before we start the sports talk. We have a little. We, li- we line up behind this guy. That's everybody does. If you want shade. You no, that's terrible. Guy. That's terrible. What I just said. That's terrible. 
and I feel badly about it. I do. Hi, hi, Peach. Hi, guys. Bishop, big donut, pop culture, P to the mother grabbing J. What's up, partner? Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. What? Oh. Uh, now it's official. Now it's official. My daughter dances to this often. She dances to Fearless? No, she doesn't. That's a lie. Why are you starting up the show with lies? Is that what the song is called? It is indeed called Fearless, yes. Fearless. Have you, PJ, have you heard of a, a fairly good forgery? What's the name of that album? There's a version of this song that comes up on my Pandora all the time. And it's called a, a fairly... It's a, it's, a, it's a nifty bit of alliteration. But it's like a in other fairly, words, it's a, it's a cover band of Floyd, in other words? Or, it's or a, it's a fairly Floyd forgery or something like that. Fairly good Floyd forgery or something. It's really good version of Oh, Fearless. no. comes up oh. on my Pandora. You need to Google that. When we go talk about the sports stuff, you need to go Google that. Sure. Oh, my the, computer the, just made a noise. The keep... <laughs> can you, can you describe that? just went bing bong. <laughs> I don't know why. That means it's sports time. <laughs> Bing bong. Sports time. <laughs> the sports bell. The, um, hey. just, I bet you if you just Google forgery and fearless cover, yeah. you'll find it. It's really good. It's actually a really good cover. How are you, Peach? Are you wearing a flannel? I'm wearing a flannel. Um, Do, you a have a flannel? Do you have a flannel on the chair behind you as well? That's my second flannel right there. Thank you for the good noticing right there. Are you, rock, are you rocking a backup flannel? Uh, not to sound too much like my mother, but I caught a chill today. I was working outside. Too late. Uh, worked, out, worked outside a good portion of the day in the rain. Sure. And, and uh, have not warmed up since. Well, I hope... Uh... I hope that gets a little better for you. Maybe you should slip into that hot bath that Cal just drew. Is I that a, a flannel chair, right here? <laughs> is that a flannel it's over chair? All, it's all flannel down here. This whole, this whole room I'm in is flannel. I'm doing it this for soundproofing, crazy. basically. It's May but It's 22nd. also very warm. Very cozy. <laughs> soundproofing. This yeah, is the Dumpling Town is... Second Studio. The second room here is just going to be called Cozy Town. Yeah, this was recorded in a room uh, that was completely insulated by flannel. At that point, at that, at that point, we were convinced that PJ had lost his mind. Oh, I can't wait to make that documentary. I can't wait. Yeah. Cal, what he's referring to here is the Dumpling Sound Studio documentary. When we were building uh, the studio at PJ's house, for for you know, in case you know this, but. Some others might not. PJ has a full uh, studio uh, by his house. Yes. Came in a, a prefab shed, basically. Or it's like a prefab house. It's a little house. Yeah, it's like a little tiny house. And we had to do all the work inside of it, like all the insulation and all the... And uh, PJ chose the most whorehousey... <laughs> uh, swaths of, of cloth like velvet 
cloth to put up on the walls over the soundproofing. Uh-huh. And it's great. It's like a real music studio, but it's so like I envision what a cat house looked like in 1948. And we started making our own documentary on ourselves as we were putting we were just voicing it as we were putting it up one, you know. Course. Looking into the future at the documentary we would make about ourselves. And for some reason when we did it, we became British. Exactly. And and of course it was it was like a behind the music as narrated by a Brit. And one of the and of course keep in mind we had been working for twelve to fourteen hours straight at this point. There was wine. And there was there may have been a few glasses of wine and we decided we were going to <laughs> insulate and soundproof all of the studio with dumplings. Because we had ordered Chinese that night. And, dumpling and was, holds the sound. You, you gotta understand. You see the dumpling holds sound perfectly. It's a little known thing. And that's how it became Dumpling Sound Studios. I That's love it. true. Yeah. He was, uh, at the time, PJ, we thought he was out of his mind because he ordered uh, 240,000 dumplings and then just lined the walls with them, just put them in the walls. Then and we him- cut away to a shot of just Chinese food containers <laughs> littered all over the lawn. <laughs> <laughs> they would only deliver them in the court-sized containers. So they, you couldn't get them in mass or in bulk. So they really only came in the little Chinese food containers. And we had about eight trillion of them just laying about. And all the sauce. (laughs) Of course, sauce that you didn't use. Everyone came with a ramekin of the little sauce. And so we did use that. (laughs) And that was the sound he was going for. He called it the dumpling sound. And it was really perfect. The acoustic properties of a well-made dumpling are really quite well known in the Far East, aren't they? Yeah, it was. It was. It was just ridiculous. It was and ridiculous. but we were joking. But you know what? That room sounds unique. It does sound unique because probably because of the whorehouse type fabric that we have <laughs> all over the walls. The bordello of base. The bordello of base. That's correct. That's what that devolved into. That devolved into a commercial. Do you have a whorehouse or bordello in need of fabric? Really low budget. Yeah, uh, exactly. Late night commercial on local TV. Exactly. Come on down. We have all your fabrics. Yeah, it's nice. The studio's nice. Someday we'll get there. Hey, when you got when you guys get done with the uh, the sporty action, um, remind me to tell you about my uh, the next step in my beautification program. <laughs> your personal beautification program. Self self improvement. Self improvement. You're gonna like it. There is no possible way I can forget to remind you of that. Okay. Cal. Not a nutritional supplement. I'll give you a hint. It's it's an appliance. I recommend we get through the sports quickly. <laughs> let's get let's get to the sports so we can get to that. <laughs> because I, because I gotta hear that. I need to hear that. Okay. All right. Well, we're gonna do we're gonna do the show a little different. Time for the big unload. Yeah, everybody's just... <laughs> Look, there... There are a few... There are a few um, bands I despise more than Foreigner. Really, oh, I'll be honest. Come on. But that just comes on and forget it. You can't, you can't help but... Bop your head. You, just, you can't help but bop your head. That's perfect fun load music. 
for tonight because we're doing, or I mean, uh, big unload music because we're doing things a little differently tonight, Peach. Oh, tell the me. first, the first rule of episode number one hundred and seventy-seven is, you don't talk about the Mets. You know what the second rule of episode? Do you don't talk about the Mets? All right. Hey, it's your show. His name was Robert Paulson. <laughs> no, we, I, I, I've been kicking this uh, type of show around. And, Peach, I want you to jump in because there are, uh, uh, at any time you see fit, because these are sort of general sports topics. I served, I served, under, I served under general sports topic. Is this a potpourri Is night? It, Is that what we're doing? It's, it's like a potpourri night. So there's there's definitely going catch to catch catch can. It's gonna be. Uh, we're doing that. Look, we do a lot of. Luck? Is it sports potluck? Can I just tell the people what's going on, please? <laughs> silent auction. Is it a silent White auction? White elephant. <laughs> it's a Pollyanna. Oh, it's a, wait a minute. It's a grab bag. That's not right. Oh, all right. Is it, that's what they call grab bags in Philly. Pollyannas. They call Pollyanna. Poly- I don't believe that. For one <laughs> Why second. would I make that up? Why would because I? Because everybody's overly cheerful about it. Yeah, you go down to Broad Street and you get a Pollyanna. And you get Pollyanna. Wait, what? what are you doing in Philly? I don't know. With that accent. I don't know. No good. <laughs> You're out of place, son. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> these are these are. We've been doing a lot of current stuff for probably about a year. And, um, you know, the last few episodes have been great, but it's been a lot of just really hammering on the Mets and, and even the Yankees and just outside of the draft show, which was, uh, which was fantastic. Um, and this, the shows have been really good, but I feel like we're, I feel like we need to just like cleanse the palate a little bit with just kicking around some things, they, they, not necessarily all uh, rosy, but just kicking around some things in the sporting world, past, present, future that maybe we just want to talk about. So, Peach, I strongly encourage you. I strenuously object. Is that how it works? I strenuously urge you to uh, get involved if there's something that you see fit. Cal, one of them that I wanted to bring up is, um, is definitely one that uh, uh, has been on my mind for a long time. And it is current, but it's an overall theme. And I definitely want PJ in on this conversation as well. You know, every once in a while with what I do for a living, not acting, but what I do for a day job, um, you know, sports sort of crosses into it because I work in the legal field. I work in the legal sport field, as you well know. And um, there's a lot of litigation in sports. I don't know if you knew this. Uh, But the other day, a case was filed... Uh, for the ex-NFL players, Richard Dent, uh, Jim McMahon, some of the bigger people on the case, against the NFL, a huge uh, you know, class action suit with a ton of, uh, supposedly 500 plaintiffs, ex-players have signed on to this, about drug use in the NFL. And the NFL is basically condoning players using drugs to stay on the field, whether they be painkillers or, um, you know, in, in certain cases, speed and stuff like that, but, but mainly Percocet and Toradol and, and how the teams basically gave these to players without any sort of information about the possible repercussions of 
taking these drugs or the fact that they have addictive properties and you can become a, you know, an addict, um, especially pain medication. Now, we've seen this with some big players in the NFL, guys like Brett Favre and you know, admitting addiction to painkillers. This suit basically says that it's institutionalized. That, and I actually read the complaint. Because <laughs> yeah, a little free time at work. Um, Cal, I wanted to get and and PJ too eventually, and feel free to jump in, Peach, when you when you see fit. But I wanted to get your take on this because not take. I just want to talk to you about it. It's interesting to me. We we expect our athletes to be superheroes. We expect our athletes to be, and we've talked about this before. Uh, this idea that these guys have emotions, these guys are human beings. You know, when they when they make mistakes or when they they don't succeed on the field, we expect them to be robots, and we expect them to not have human emotions. We talked about this a lot with the guy who pitched for the Dodgers tonight, actually against the Mets, with Zach Greinke, who years ago was diagnosed with social anxiety disorder, and really it, it limits where he would go play. Um. And we said, you know, what's, there's nothing wrong with that. The guy, just because he can throw a 95-mile-an-hour fastball, shouldn't be expected to be a social, you know, shouldn't be expected to be comfortable in front of him. So we, my point is, we expect our athletes to be robots, Cal. And this suit, to me, says that for years in the NFL, that's exactly what teams expect out of these players. And it's okay. They condone that idea. And I understand there are other things involved here, but uh, you know, in terms of the teams getting keeping players on the field, and there's always money, obviously, at the end of the day. But have we done this too much, Bry? Have we done this too much with sports? Like, do we expect too much out of these guys? When you say we, who, what do you mean by we? Fans, uh, owners of teams. That's a great way the to media. Yeah, that's a great way to to unpack it. Okay, so let's start with the fans. Are the fans' expectations of professional athletes, especially in the four majors, unrealistic because of how much money they make? I think the money aspect lends or leads the fan to not care about a player's emotions about a player as the person. I think many fans see the contract as buying off the emotion almost. Okay. Or buying off the, the humanization of the player. So in other words, you're an all-star player and you make $20 million a year. Well, you, you make $20 million a year, so you can deal with whatever because you make $20 million a year. I make... $30,000 a year, I have real problems. Problems are all bought off by the, by the millions and millions of dollars that you make to play a game. And I think that a lot of fans look at it that way. That's, it's, not, it's not right. But. No, no, but that's, that's exactly where I want to start this conversation because I think you are absolutely right. I'll bring up the example of and that's, and that's to staying on the field. Right. I don't care that you have to take you got addicted to Percocet so you could still play. You're making $15 million. You're making whatever, uh, you know, all these millions of dollars. 
you I don't care that you got an addiction to a dangerous drug to stay can, on the field. I don't care. You can afford the best rehab that money can buy. Right. So go get yourself fixed and after is, you win me a championship. Is that wrong, though, Bri? I mean, has... Yes, it's wrong. But I'm saying, have, is there any way back from that then? Because um, I feel like there isn't. I think a little bit. I think, see, that, that was a segment of fans that exists, but I think might have existed more maybe 10 years ago. Okay. I don't want to go back too far, because if you go back too far, the players weren't making that ridiculous money that you can't understand. Right, but if you if you are too recent, and this is why I'm, I go let's go ten fifteen years back. You have that segment of fans now. Flash forward to now, 2014. I think social media has changed the game a little bit to the point where players can humanize themselves a little bit by showing their personality, by tweeting, by having a Facebook page, you know. And I think more with fans on a human level. Now, but aren't they getting killed for that? In some cases, they are. I mean, they're, they're, you know, we had this incident with Daniel Murphy at the beginning of the season where his wife was in, was, was going to go into labor and she was pregnant. And, and even the old time ball player said, you know, you get three days maternity, paternity leave in, in Major League Baseball. That's been collectively bargained. Again, this is a human element. This is the guy's first child. He wants to be in the room. And with his and, and he got killed everywhere. Boomer Sison said something absolutely asinine, which he apologized for. But still, Mike Francesa here in New York, I mean, he got ripped to shreds. You know, oh, you didn't do that back in my day. I mean, even Keith Hernandez, you know, on the Mets broadcast said, you know, I, I think you'd want to get back and play with your team. Do we expect, and, and, and to me this suit speaks to it a little bit, do we expect these guys to just be robots for those six months of the year? I don't care what's going on in your life. You make X amount of money. Too bad. I think a lot of people do. Yeah, I do too. Do you think, though, that so you talked about a very interesting aspect of the years, Bri. This suit goes back to players, you know, the Richard Dents and Jim McMahons and... Keith Van Horn, and uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of old names in there that pop up that you're like, oh, I remember, oh, man, sorry that he's not doing well. A lot of mid-'80s bears. Yeah, like. yes. Um, that you read this complaint, and, you, and it's of a time. So you say, like, do you still think that they're doing that in the NFL? I mean, I would imagine it's even more so. Yeah. Because, you know, we, we've said this. We don't seem to care about NFL players and performance-enhancing drugs. We, we don't seem to care. Like, if a guy gets suspended for a supplement or something like that, it's usually something sort of benign, like a weight loss supplement that he had no idea was on the ban list. Like, how many NFL players are getting suspended for HGH? None of them. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a huge, not that it's a double standard, but there's a different level of acceptance in the, in the sports right. when it comes to performance-enhancing drugs. Right. Like in football, they're getting suspended for like Dexatrim. Right. You know, like they're not, they're not getting suspended for the clear and the cream. Right. Because they're almost expected to be these warriors that 
Now, that, that play through anything, but the other aspect of this that's very prominent in the suit, and again, I, I think it's a question of society in terms of sports, is the, are, are the owners and the NFL. Like, once again, the NFL, they just settled the concussion MDL for $765 million, which is not a lot of money. I mean, considering how many plaintiffs were in that suit, it's a, tra- it's a bit of a travesty. I mean, you're talking about a, what, $9 billion a year industry? Mm-hmm. They, they just paid off, like, I don't, I don't know the number I'm going to speculate, but like 2,000 players with $765 million. Like, that's, that was a really bad decision for the players, the ex-players. Mm-hmm. And now you have this suit on top of it that basically claims the NFL doesn't care that it turns its players into drug addicts. Can, uh, just going back to the suit, and you, you said you read the complaint. Yeah. Are, they, are they alleging that the NFL knew the dangers of the drugs that they were giving and, and purposely withheld that information? Or did the NFL not know? It's, that's the implication. The implication is that they did know. The implication is that they did know and they don't, or, or the teams did and they didn't care. Okay. You know, that, that, that they, they were lining up to give them these shots. It was, it was, I mean, you listen to some of the testimony that's in the complaint and it's, it's crazy. Like it's North Dallas 40 times 50. North Dallas 200. North Dallas. <laughs> 2000? It was my understanding there'd be no math. Yeah. But, um, I, it, does it speak to – I think the, we've, we've, we've talked about this. I think the NFL has – and I love it so much, but I think the NFL has a problem. I feel I, – there's a part of me that feels like the NFL is like skidding out of control on, on, a, on a slippery slope, and it's destined to just explode at some point. And it, it could be 40, 50 years down the road. It could be two or three years down the road. But I just feel like there's so much going on. And they're just so obsessed with making as much money as possible that, that the whole thing is just going to like combust at some point. It really is turning into that, you know, that friend that you have who's like in a marriage that's not great, but it's like white hot. You know, like they're like it's super white, like it's really interesting and in the, they're just like a super white hot couple. But you're like, that's either going to blow up now or in, that's what the NFL is. Yeah. Like, you, you love watching it. When they're at the party, you're like, sweet. Sweet. <laughs> the crazy, the crazy hey, white-hot couple's there. The NFL is here. Yep, the NFL's here. This is going to be a good night. They're either going to make out in front of us or fight or something. Something cool is going to happen. But you know it's, not, it's just not going to last. I don't know if it's 40 years from now. They're just careening out of control. Yeah, they're, they're, the pace that they're on is just not sustainable. It's not. <laughs> It's not. Would you say that their ego is writing checks that their body can't cash? I think that's about what's happening. So wait. Let me just complete the analogy. Go ahead. The NFL is Maverick. Oh, yes. Yes. Yes, it is. Who's goose in this equation? <laughs> it's tough. I'm not, I'm not sure I know. Yeah, because I would, you know, my first instinct is to use somebody within the NFL. Sure. But when you're using the NFL as a whole, as Maverick. <laughs> and whose ego is writing checks that their body can't cash. Right. Go- right, you always have to say that. Yes. Goose? Be understood. 
Goose could be is Goose uh, baseball is Goose or no or Goose could be the networks. Goose could be the networks because if the if the NFL keeps this up and keeps writing checks that its body body can't cash, the NFL is going to die on network TV and the networks will be Goose. Yeah. Watch the canopy networks. Watch the canopy. That's the last thing he says to him, by the way. Uh, spoiler alert? He <laughs> too soon? <laughs> eject, eject, eject. Watch the canopy. I think what saves you right now is we haven't mentioned the name of the movie. So nobody knows what we're talking That's about. That's right. We're okay. So you're good. Maverick? What are, you, what are they what? talking about? The, the, the Western movie with Jodie Foster and, and Mel Gibson? And Jimmy Garner? Because we're, we're close friends. You can't, you can't say James Garner. No. You can only call him Jimmy Garner if you've been on set with him. <laughs> I, I disagree. I think, I think if you've even seen a movie, you get to call him Jimmy Garner. Jim Garner. That's, that's the qualification. No, no. Jimmy. I don't know. I feel like Jimmy is if you worked with him. Jim is if you know him. <laughs> Jim is if you know him, right. right. And JT. Wait. JG? What the hell's his last name? I'll be all right. JT, do you know his middle name? Yes, Franklin. Oh, I thought it was Thomas. James Franklin Garner. Is that true? That is not even true. Okay. His middle name is Maverick, which makes total sense. Brings us full circle. Um, the last thing with this, and then I have another topic to move on to. I'm, I'm really interested to see how these suits play out, Bri, because – and they're playing out very publicly. Like the concussion suit was very public, and then you had the League of, um, League of Denial, League of Denial uh, which was, we talked about at the time was a really fascinating documentary and supposedly a very good book. I didn't get to read all of it. Um, I, I don't we, – we've said this before, and – and this suit brings it up for me again. And this is sort of a... Well, I just went Jim, or Todd McShay again. Sorry. <laughs> oh, boy. Loosen the tie. Got to talk about sports. Oof. Um, but this suit is sort of like an in-the-past thing, right? In other words, the concussion... And, uh, uh, the, the concussion huge lawsuit, the MDL... Um, which stands for multi-district litigation, by the way, Cal. Um, Fancy pants over here. But the class action suit is current. It affects current players as well. Right. This is sort of like the NFL did this for years. They owe us. It's a retribution suit more than current players are like, I don't care. Give me whatever you got. Right. I think my takeaway is, though, maybe we expect too much out of these players. You know, we're expecting too much, like, like Harvey with the Tommy John, right? Like all these Tommy John surgeries. No, Tommy John surgery has become extraordinarily routine. But we expect these guys to come back and just, I, I don't know, like so, so many surgeries and repairs have become so common. I think in baseball, especially with the pitchers, it's become kind of the cost of doing business, though. Yeah. You know, you know there's going to be a surgery somewhere along the way. Right. You almost, Especially, ex- right. You almost, you almost expect it or accept it. Well, and it's also like Rex Ryan says about the NFL, where the injury percent, you know, the, the injury rate percentage is 100%. Well, 
every, every player will get hurt at some point. Because the game is designed to hurt you. Right. You know, it's, a, it's just a physical game. So does that make it okay for them to take or for a team to supply foreign substance, uh, substances or drugs to keep their players on the field? No, of course not. Right. It, make it, it doesn't make it okay, but it's not going to stop them. But what if, they're, what if they're telling them what the ramifications are? What if they're telling them what the, what the possible results are? Well, if they're telling them what the possible results are, then they're, they're off the hook. Then it's on the players, right? Then, then it's on the players, and the players can do whatever they want. If within, I, if I'm within, a, the, within the within the rules, yeah. right. you can't you can't just go snort an eight ball off a cheerleader's thigh and then no. go out and you know on the sideline and go out. And, although, what was it? Hollywood Henderson had the cocaine. Was in, it Hollywood Henderson or Mercury Morris? No, it was, who's the DB for the Raiders? Hollywood Henderson. He had the supposedly supposedly he had the coke in the oxygen tank. <laughs> so on the sideline, when he would be getting oxygen. He was actually getting vapor cocaine. It's pretty. Hey, that's crafty. You can pull. That, you can pull that off. He was ahead of his time. Let me. Here's where I want to bring PJ in here. To talk about vapor uh, cocaine. Correct. We happen to have an authority <laughs> on donuts. What did you think I was going to say? I wasn't going to say vapor cocaine. No, no. Donuts. Yes, donuts. Um, I want to equate this somewhat, Peach, to musicians. Sure. And and when I was reading this complaint, you know what came to my you know, came to mind for me, guys, was the wall. The idea of you know the 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 performer being drugged up on whatever is possible to get him to go out and perform. And I think we expect the same thing out of our entertainers to a certain degree. I th- you know, I think this, this goes back to um, uh, we're too eager to know what everybody's making. Everybody, everybody's too eager to know the box office of everything, whether it's what, what a movie's making and, uh, or what an album sells or now what an athlete makes per game, you know. Or break pitch. it down to, you know, you're making $28,000 an inning. You better be PJ, out there. Isn't that how everybody's I'm judged invested. now, though? Isn't that how everybody's judged? Well, it's a perversion of the corporate culture because the audience uh, thinks that they're an investor. You know? We say this all the time, yeah, with, with sports. I mean, we, we say this all the time. Yeah. Now, fans have a responsibility are... to the investors. Right. Fans are entitled. It's an emotional investment. Right. But they're entitled. They feel like they're entitled to your performance. Hey, look, I spent my 150 bucks on these tickets, and I brought my two kids here. I'm enti- I don't care if you have to stick a needle in your knee to play tonight. I'm entitled to that. I'm an investor in this. We're in this together. Yeah. This needs a sea change. This is, this is a cultural shift that has to... It has to go back. Yeah, I think you. I think you hit on a really interesting thing, Peach, about the idea of everybody knows what everybody makes. Yeah, or they think they do. Well, I mean, that's the. But in sports, that's all you hear. Like that's all you know. 
And, and we talk about the numbers in ways that are just obscene. Like we, like we talk about, and I understand that you know, $7 million today, which of course is still $7 million, but mm-hmm. is, is not the same as you know, $7 million you know, 20 years ago. Obviously, it's all you know, commensurate or whatever or, or proportional to the time you're in. But Cal, think about like like us saying like, yeah, and they they gave Curtis Granderson sixty million dollars for four years, and we're like, oh, that's not not a bad deal, right? That's an Six, insane amount of money. Sixty million dollars, guaranteed. Well, I mean, every everybody spitballs. Million. I mean, everybody has something to say when they're talking about the team's overall play uh, payroll. Right. I mean, I think that that that's a little different, but but when it gets down to what a team, you know, what the corporate entity is paying the player, and then and then what the fan thinks he's owed, and then you go back to management, and now what management thinks they owe the fan base, and the player itself is just a commodity that you just use and fix and use and fix till it's too broken, and then you put it on eBay or you throw it out, and you get a new commodity. Yeah. I mean, it's it's got ridiculous. Hey, you guys want to go to a ball game? (laughs) And watch your investments? And watch, see how our commodities are doing? (laughs) That's a, honestly though, Peach, breaking it down that way is extraordinarily interesting because that's what that lawsuit sort of, you know, portrays that these players are literally commodities to be, uh, you know, uh, propped up for as long as possible and then discarded. And who cares about them when they're discarded? It's the same thing with the concussion suit to a certain extent with the NFL. And the NFL seems to have this biggest problem because of the damage that playing the sport does. And this seems like an ancillary sort of um, collateral damage but it's wait, it can't be both. This seems like collateral damage. We we didn't need ancillary there. It was completely uh, too many words. Yeah, but this seems like collateral damage that these that a player becomes an addict or addicted to a painkiller or something like that. That the NFL is and the teams are like, well, too bad, buddy. You know. Well, a new line. I mean, I think it comes down to a new line has to be drawn in the sand where a player obviously when he signs a contract. Uh, understands that you know the acceptable risks or the assumed risks of the job, but you know management. I'll just call them management because I have no other better word right now. Um, that that does not give them the freedom continually, like to, to force the player out onto the field when his body would otherwise not not go there. When a doctor would say no. You don't play today. You don't play this week. You don't play right. half the season. Right. Well, do you think that that's happening as much now? I mean, look at baseball. They, they just recently instituted a seven-day concussion disabled list. Finally. Uh, you say finally, but they, they did it. So now... No, I, I don't want to pat them too hard on the back, though, for something that should have been in effect like 10 years ago. Yeah, but, but 10 years ago, we didn't have the knowledge no, of you're concussions right. that we you're have right. now. You're right. Concussions, yeah, I, I know what your point is, but concussions are a weird thing because we're just getting so much information on it recently. Very, very true. You know? But you, don't, I, you don't think of them in baseball either. 
No. You think, and, and if you think of them in baseball, you think of them as being less of a concussion than it would be in another sport. Sure. When it's all the same. It's a, it's a bruised brain. Yep. No matter how you look at it. Yeah. Yeah, and they, and they did institute that. And I think this, sport, this, this begs the question of should certain performance-enhancing drugs and or I like to – I prefer to refer to them as recovery drugs – should they be allowed, guys? Should they be allowed? I mean, should, it, should they be legal? Should HGH in some form be legal for a player to take to stay on the field? Not if it's going to have a long-term consequence. But I'm, but I'm, I'm saying it's, it's, it's the old argument, right? That if you can... If you can Make it medical, you know. Make it medically viable to take. You know, they don't know the long-term consequences of HGH. They know that they're not great right, right now, but they don't know the long-term consequences. Is there a way to, you know, medicinize it to make it safe, quote unquote? Let's call it safe. Or should they be researching more of that, of of ways to use HGH? Let's just say for good. Like, like, I mean, isn't is is that a realistic thing to expect? Look, if if I was a major league baseball player, and H, you know, taking HGH in some way, shape, or form, of course, while risky, and if, and certainly now while ridiculously risky, but I'm talking eight, nine, ten years ago, like when the Saint Andy Pettit took it, and you're telling me that I can do this and I can cut my DL time down from you know, 60 days to 15, or I can get back on the field faster, it's not going to make me stronger or better, which is why I've always said that HGH is bigger, a bigger cheat than steroids. Because you can't quantify what steroids give an individual player. But you can quantify the games that a player gets to play because they took HGH that they would have normally missed. So, so I've always felt that HGH and, and, and that is, is worse than a steroid. You know, how much better did steroids make Barry Bonds? We, we, we don't know. It's difficult to quantify that. He was an incredible player beforehand. But HGH kept him on the field, kept him playing when he shouldn't be. And so that's a bigger cheat to me. But anyway, if you told me that I could get back in 15 days instead of 60 – I'd try it. I'd try to do it. All right, now I'm going to tell you that you can get back on the field in 15 days instead of 60, but 20 years from now, it's going to have an effect, and it it could shorten your life. And is that my choice? It's your choice. In other words, it's it's legal to take, but I know the the ramifications. You've got all the information. You know what the consequences are. I personally... I don't. I'm not answering for myself, but personally, I I believe many athletes would choose the short-term benefit over over the long-term risk. Absolutely. Right. Because one reason, because of the money involved. Right. Right. Jason Giambi was always the great example of this to me. Of the lore of steroids. Right, the lure of steroids is there be, for a major league baseball player. Jason Giambi was a very good player, 
Mm-hmm. He's a very good player. Bordering on great. But he wasn't a $128 million contract player. And he wasn't going to be. And so if you start using this performance-enhancing drug and all of a sudden you are that guy, how do you, how do you turn that down? You can't. And 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 this is back in the days where you you know still had to cycle and stuff like that. It was it, you know the steroids had become designer, but they weren't nearly as designer as they are now. Well, and so we, there's there's certainly there was there was I'm sorry, Cal, but there's certainly no, clinical evidence at the time of what that particular type of usage of steroids is going to do to you. There's Lyle Alzado. There's there's all these case studies, cautionary tales, and he still chose to do it. You know what? I, my testicles are going to shrink. Fine. I might get cancer. Great. We're talking about $128 million. I will never have to work a day in my life again, and neither will anybody else related to me. That's the choice. That some of the, And then you had other players that were marginal Major League Baseball players that if I take this, I can stay in the Major Leagues and keep drawing that paycheck. Would you do it to save your Major League career? We're talking about you know, two, $3 million for some of these guys. That's a lot of money that's just, that's yeah. a, that they're never going to make, ever. These, like, are, these are guys without – most of these guys are without professional skills. You know, they're never going to make that kind of money anywhere else in life. They can't type. They can't type worth a lick. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I've, <laughs> I've, always, I've always seen the allure. I've always understood why you would do it. And the allure is always going to be there. It is. Players are always, always. as long and, as long as the money's there, it will be. And you know what? In 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 some cases, they really believe they're doing right by their family by doing that. You know, yep. I'm I'm going to set my family up for life. And the consequence is, I might not be around with my family, but at least they'll be set up. Yeah. And they make that choice. And that's why I I put it to you guys to say. Shouldn't is there a way to legalize it and medicinize it? I don't know if I'm using that correctly, but it feels good. Um, to make a, a, some form of HGH legal research, like should they be pouring research into that to help these players recover safely, more quickly from injuries? I don't think they're going to do it anytime soon. They spend so much time trying to get it out of the sport. Yeah. I was talking about baseball specifically. Yes. But they spend so much time and effort and money to get it out of the sport. And now they've got it out of the sport. At least they think they have. And I don't think they're going to turn around and do any research to try to medicinize it. Right. I don't know what that right. means. Right. I mean, no, they can't. They can't. This is a new word that we're all just calling <laughs> And we're all just we're all just rolling with it. We're all just rolling with it. I uh, I I I like it. No, they're not. They they spent they spend way too long trying to get it out of the game. You know, and and they're just not going to do it. I I don't know. It's a very interesting conversation, guys. It really is because yeah. No, thank you. It's um. Oh no. I I Thanks just bringing it up. I think that. I think about Wesley, right? Like I think about my three and a half year old or, or a little guy like watching sports in 10 years. Like what are these sports going to – and I was thinking a lot about this when I was reading the complaint. 
and also I have read the the uh, MDL uh, complaint for the concussions as well because I just I happen to have access to these documents. Um, and anybody does. You can go online and get that. Like, what is sports going to look like in 10 years when Wesley's, you know, 12, 13 years old and really, hopefully, like, into watching sports? You know, like, my two guys, what, what's it going to look like? You could, uh, you could make the case that the NFL is going to crash and burn in a fiery blaze of glory with, with the networks hitting the canopy. You, uh, that baseball will have priced itself out of several markets and maybe go down to like eight teams. That the NBA, 15 teams could fold. And that hockey might be a club sport. <laughs> Played locally. A great retraction, but a great retractions happen in businesses all the time. Doesn't mean it can't, any of those sports can't survive. They could. Oh, yeah. Isn't baseball going to eat itself too? I mean, Mike Trout's going to be the first, what, $350 million player? Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, think about it. We have a $200 million baseball player. One guy. One player. $200 million. $250. Or two, uh, Pujols is $250? Yeah. It was two. It was ten years two fifty, right? Two hundred and fifty million dollars guaranteed. How is baseball not gonna just consume itself? Robinson Cano got two forty two forty just, just yep. this year. Yep. Robinson Cano for seven years. That was ten. or it was was it ten? Yeah. Oh it was he has an out after seven, something like that. But still it's just it's it's money that's not even you're able to comprehend. No. And it's just, it's the balloon is just blowing up and expanding and expanding and expanding. And it's, there's no choice but for it. To, it's going to burst at some point. Yeah, there, was a, there was a tech bubble. This is a sports bubble. Yeah. It has to. All right. Fine. It's exciting now. I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic for the future of sports. <laughs> That's great. I had a couple of other ones. Do you want me to? Do you want me to throw? There were two other things that were really on my mind. I think I'm going to skip to the. Well, maybe that could be the fun load. We should have music for this. It should be like grab bag music. <laughs> there should always be grab bag music. Right. By the grab bags. Worst band name ever. <laughs> Here's the new one from the grab bags. <laughs> it's called potpourri. It's. Called Here's a new one from the ball bags. Ooh, terrible. What? Baseball. Ball bags. Grab bags. Um, You're terrible. No, I was, I was going to talk – I wanted to ask you, Bri, about – because my, my little tirade about the NBA got some legs in my office. And I was, I was taken to task for saying that the NBA was unwatchable because of the inconsistent officiating and the preferential star treatment. Right. Uh, I, had a, I had one friend, uh, our old buddy Jess, who's a big fan of the show, uh, brought up one great point. And he said, when he said, it's always been the most difficult game to officiate of the four major sports. 
It's always been a hard game to officiate. Nothing has changed in that regard. You just have to sort of realize that the calls even out and that in the NFL or in Major League Baseball, in hockey, certain crews, certain officials, certain umpires are known for particular inconsistencies. It's no different in the NBA. What do you think of that? Um, I, I, I could see that. I'll buy that. I think he's right to a certain extent. I think the letter of the law is more is still more defined in the other three majors than it is in basketball. I think in the NBA it's way too mixed with the preferential star treatment. It's still way too inconsistent, like possession to possession. And the other the other point we came to was I'm not an NBA fan. I used to watch the NBA a lot in the 90s. I haven't in the last 15 years. So if I flip on an NBA playoff game, and I'm, that's like my small sample size, it's not going to be representative of the playoffs overall or the, the officiating overall, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think that's pretty fair. So I'm not going to retract what I said last week. I still found most of the... The, end, the last five minutes of the Nets Heat series, unwatchable if it's a close game. Mm-hmm. And it would still drive me bat bleep crazy to, if I was a huge fan. It would drive me crazy to see LeBron get the calls that he gets. Right. But that was one point he did concede. That the, that, the, that the stars get the calls? No, that the star treatment that they get now is different than and worse than Jordan, than the Jordan rules. So, like, a guy like LeBron gets more egregious calls in his favor than Michael Jordan did back in, the, in his time? He brought up a great point, right? He said that the league wanted to do away with hand-checking. They wanted a more wide-open game than the 80s and 90s Knicks teams and the Pistons and, the, and even the Bulls. So they sort of did away with that, but then they want guys to play defense and they don't know how to call a game. And so the star player now gets calls on both sides of the court, and there's no penalty. There's not a big enough penalty for flopping. Okay. I suggested that they should go the NHL way. And, and give them a foul for flopping? That's right. Like an unsportsmanlike conduct type thing? Yep, or a technical. Tec- or a technical. Yeah, assess a technical. And have it so you can have that on the same foul so the same violation a guy could actually foul you but you make it look so ridiculous that you get a technical too like they do in hockey like you can trip someone but if he tries to embellish it with a dive he gets a penalty too he can get an unsportsmanlike as well for embellishing it right or basically trying to draw the call i think they should do that in basketball too I think every time LeBron goes into one... I mean, LeBron's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Somebody sent me, like, a YouTube, like, cut-up of, like, 35 in a row of his, like, worst flops. It's, <laughs> it's staggering. You know, he should get a technical when he does that. He should get a technical. I don't think they'll ever do that. It's bad for the game. 
Well, there, I said it. I think you're going to be taken to task again. No, he, he, he agreed with me on that one. He liked that one. On that. Do you think that basketball is more difficult to officiate than any of the other majors? Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's more difficult to officiate than hockey. Yeah, you don't, right? I don't. I think hockey... I think hockey is the hardest to officiate because of the sheer speed of the game. Right. You know? That was the other point, too, that, that, I, that I made uh, post about my little tirade was. The star treatment in the NHL is different because a guy like Sidney Crosby is not on the ice for, you know, 52 minutes of 60. Right. He's on the ice for 22, 23 minutes of the 60 minutes. He's not even on the ice for half the game. LeBron James touches the ball every time down the court on both sides. Right. You know, he's playing defense on one side, and he's getting calls there, and then he's, he's got the ball in his hands, and he plays 47 of 48 minutes. So it's, it's, it's different. The star treatment in the NHL is way different just simply because of the amount of time that the guy's on the ice. Do you think... Here's a, here's a little aside. All right. A, a soliloquy or an aside? No, it's an aside. Because, you know, if this were a soliloquy, you'd want to go talk to the audience for a while. I know. I'm just going to throw something out there, and I want, I want you to talk about it. So you're making an aside to the audience in Shakespearean terms. It's not an aside either. It's not an aside. That was wrong. It, would, it wouldn't be. No. What I what I'm going to do is interrupt. Basically, I'm just interrupting and hijacking your your <laughs> discussion. Can you wait? Just but give an aside real quick, which would be a look out to the audience and a watch this and a wink. Can you give me give me, give me your best aside? All right. So we're going to go. Uh, hey, folks, get a load of this. There it so is. Steve. There it is. Aside. Do you can we, can we get an aside song? Aside. <sighs> dun, 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 aside. Do you think that star treatment in sports, which we will all agree occurs, right? Let's get the let's put those cards on the table. We can all agree that there is star treatment in all at, at the very least, three of the four major sports. I, I think it's in all four. It's in all four, but I, you don't see it as much in football, I don't think. I think that Peyton Manning gets calls, whether okay. they be for pass interference or roughing the passer. Okay, that, that notwithstanding. That, that uh, you know, Geno Smith doesn't get. That's, a, that's an odd... Those are odd people to compare to one another. But. No, I, okay. Or Mark Sanchez never got. I mean, Tom Brady would get calls in a game that Mark Sanchez would never get. Okay. So let me also, also, the official was laughing at Mark Sanchez the whole time and saying butt fumble <laughs> over and over again. And T-bowing. Which I did not think was professional at all. Why would he do that? Yeah. Okay, so I think it is, in, but uh, NFL definitely the least. Okay, but we agree. It's, it's, it's prevalent. Yes. It's a real thing. Is it conscious? Or is it subconscious? Is it premeditated that an official goes into the game and they know that if there's 
a controversial play or a questionable call involving a star player that the star player is going to get the benefit of the doubt? Or is it just in the heat of the game, they kind of know, oh, it's Tom Brady, I'm I'm not going to give him, he's going to get the call from me. What do you you think? Just thoughts. That can open worms everywhere because this is another conversation that we had on the heels of the NBA conversation, and that was about Tim Donahue and his officiating of games in the NBA and, and what David Stern tried to do by, you know, basically not giving preferential treatment pre-game or premeditated, but wanting longer series and, like, basically telling officials, like, hey, look, if you have to keep one team in it a little bit and hold them up a little bit, we need long series. Long series equal money. Like, does that happen, you think? Jess seemed to think so. Really? If you go conspiracy theory, absolutely in the NBA. Absolutely. Like, would it, would it, would a league want, like, you hear it all the time, oh, the league wants New York to win because they're going to get higher ratings. Right. Does that happen? Do you think there's an edict handed down from, from the commissioner to the officials? Are you asking conspiracy? I'm asking, yes. <laughs> well, look who's here. It's conspiracy. Oh, look. And I, like, slide across the table. Did someone say conspiracy? Either that or you turn around and mess your hair up and then turn back around. That's, oh, I, I'm, am I imitating conspiracy? That's right. If you're doing an imitation. Am I doing an impression of conspiracy? And you hold your hairline back. Right. I think conspiracy, who looks a lot like me, goes a little something like this. And I just I put a tinfoil hat on. <laughs> With antennas. Right. Antenna. Antennae. Tell me what you think. Cal, I, I mean that... I really don't know. I feel like in the no, NBA... No, I, no, no, I feel like in the NBA, yes. Look, it's very easy. It's very easy to say I don't know because you don't have the facts. You have nothing to prove it. It's just your gut feeling. What does your my, gut feeling tell you? My, my gut says in the NBA that has happened. Does it still happen? I don't know. Because you don't watch it. It's unwatchable. But they, That's correct. <laughs> but... <laughs> Right. It has ceased to be watchable. You get nothing. Delicatum. It's all right here. Um, I think the NBA has done that. I think the NHL has done that. With Sidney Crosby. I think there have been games that where the officiating was questionable. Because the league's best interest would have been Sidney Crosby winning. Were we at one of those games by any chance? Look, I'm not saying that. I'm totally saying that. <laughs> I just did the old. I just did the old-fashioned shaking my head. No. Right. <laughs> saying no and shaking my head. Yes. I think we have a caller who wants to get in on this. I, and you know him. I, mean, I know him? Yeah, you know him. You know him well. Do you know him? I do. Well, then put him on. 
I do you. I'm going to throw it back at you. I think the NHL has done it. I think the NBA has done it. Not to the, not to to the to the fixing the game standpoint. I think it would but be. I think it would be like star treatment. Yes. Star yes. star treatment with the idea that they want a particular team and or city to advance and or player. We got a we got a really interesting guy who wants to talk about this. So I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, put him Doctor on the show. Doctor Rebase test is unavailable. Ah, but you're wrong. He is available, and he's here. Hi, Ev. Hello, boys. Is this the X Files? I love conspiracy shows. Yes. <laughs> Mulder, there's no time. Um, hey, buddy, what's going on? What is going on? What's up? I tuned in, and I was uh, intrigued about this whole basketball, hockey, officiating, and then into the conspiracy stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, just wanted to chime in if I could. Absolutely. Time away. It's good to it's good to have you back on, brother. So, yeah, I mean, Cal has just posed the question to me. We we this stems from last week where I sort of went off on the officiating in the NBA and watching the NBA playoffs and saying it was kind of unwatchable because it was so inconsistent and the star treatment was so much. Ev, we've never really gotten into this too much, so I'm, I think Cal and I are super curious as to your thoughts. Do you think? first question I'll pose to you, because this is the first one we kicked around, was, do you think that the NBA is the hardest game to officiate? I, I think so, and I was gonna, that's what I wanted to call in about, because literally the NBA official can change every single possession of the game, if he wants to. Right. Um, you, can, you can call a foul on literally every time the ball is driven to the basket. Um, I don't really know how much way an NHL offici- uh, you know, official has on every single play. I mean, flashing calls and high sticks, I guess they're pretty, they're pretty obvious, but these little hand fouls and your guy was up to block a shot, I mean, sometimes it's, it's hard to see in slow motion if he got ball or, or the guy's hand. So I really think the, the NBA official is the hardest and also um, the one that's easy, the most easily manipulated. I, I I totally agreed with that, and I and I and Ev last week when I was watching that Heat uh, Nets game, it was like the last five minutes, like seven straight possessions. There were seven different calls, and it and yeah, I mean, you look no further than the the, the amount of difference in in fouls called for home teams versus away teams in college and NBA. It's why should that happen? How, does that make any sense statistically? I I don't think it does, and we we talked about. Two, Cal, something we left out, by the way, entirely, guys, and that is to bring into this conversation you just brought up, Ev, and that's home crowd swaying an official, which also goes on in all sports, but particularly in the NBA and in the NFL. Like, I think that's the big one yeah. in the NFL. I think the home team or the home crowd really affects an official in the, in, in the NFL, Cal. Meaning that you think an official is less likely to, to make a call against the home team. That's right. Or give them a, or give them a call. Look, the famous the famous story yeah. about the, the immaculate reception, right? Where the officials huddled up and they didn't, you know, the refs didn't know what had gone on, didn't see the play, and they were in Three Rivers Stadium. And he goes, "If you think I am ruling that an incomplete pass, you are out of your mind." Like it very well might have been. An incomplete pass. There's no chance I am ruling an incomplete pass. We will never get out of here alive. And obviously that's you yeah, know, I, a grand 
But I think the I think the crowd affects an official. I really do. Yeah, I think though basketball is the biggest example of that, just from what I've seen. No, definitely. But do you do you think the star treatment is in effect for certain players because it's in the league's interest for a certain team or player to move on? No. I think it's a natural human reaction to want to give the player that is the best in the league a better call. I think that's just a subconscious natural reaction. That's fair. You don't I, think that... I don't, point, believe, like, I don't believe the, the league... I don't believe the league tells the refs, uh, you know, let's give LeBron all these calls. I don't think that happens. I think the refs naturally say, well, LeBron's driving to the basket. There's a little bit of contact here. It's, it's his call. I just think that's the way it works. Let me ask you guys a question about Major League Baseball umpires, just to change it a little bit. An umpire sees who the starting pitcher is for both teams that day. One starting pitcher is Felix Hernandez. The other starting pitcher is some nobody on the Orioles. Just throwing that out there. Well, why you got to rip the Orioles? <laughs> I know, it's just what came to my mind. Do you think that the umpire for that, for that game goes into it knowing that, he's, that Felix Hernandez is a different strike zone than the other pitcher? I think it's a big difference, Cal. And the big difference is that every single pitch is viewed by every single person in the audience, and every single person would, would really have an idea if there's a big difference in the calls. It's just too, it's just too clear. It would be too clear. Yeah. But in the NBA, you can, you, every single time a player drives a basket, you could tell me there's a foul, and you can tell me there's not a foul, and I really wouldn't know. I really wouldn't. Yeah, and I point. watch basketball right. a lot. Yep. No, I, but I do think, but don't you think, guys, that Greg Maddox got calls that certain other pitchers didn't get? Yeah, he definitely did. I mean, he got the benefit, or Tom Glavin on the outside. I mean, we watched it for years uh, yeah. with the Braves. And, I mean, no, those guys are the reason they, they put Quest Tech in place. And, it's, and, it, and it went the other way with Barry Bonds. Like, Bonds would take a borderline oh. pitch, and the umpire would be like, well, Bonds took it. It's got to be a ball. You know, I, like, that's like, true. I think but I, and, and Evan I think, brought it up. I, 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 go ahead, no, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was no, just, I was, Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I pay a lot to have my name on the marquee. So. <laughs> I know. It's in his contract. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting question about whether it's subconscious or intentional, like in the heat of the moment. Right. When, if there's a pitch on the outside corner, does the umpire know, well, this is Tom Glavin throwing this pitch, so it's automatically going to be a strike? Or does he make the call just based on, on his reaction to it. I, I don't know. And, and, and it's hard to, like, I'm, ta- I'm bringing baseball into it, but baseball's a completely different animal than the NBA, like you said. But I, I agree with you, though, Cal. But I do, my gut feeling is I think it is a universal star, uh, uh, gut, uh, you know, subconscious thing that happens in all sports. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I'm going to play the part of conspiracy a little bit here. I think that there have been times in these leagues that they didn't necessarily say Jordan gets every call or, or something. But I think, especially in the NBA, boy, I just don't trust the NBA, that, that there have been times where, where referees, <laughs> they've given me no reason to, low down, dirty double crossers. Um, no, but there's been times where they've passed down sort of, whether it be edicts or whatever, it was in the best interest of the league for the Celtics and the Lakers to be playing in the finals. And if you could 
you know, manipulate a series through officiating, that they would do it. I would not place that uh, above David Stern. I really wouldn't. Yeah, I, I, I don't, that's not my default uh, reaction, <laughs> unlike, uh, you know, I think, I just don't believe that happens, but I, it's possible. Who's being naive now, Senator? Okay, we're both part of the same hypocrisy. <laughs> Ev, the, uh, the other one that we, that we were talking about earlier with the officiating was, and I would love to get your opinion of this, is that, do, do you think that the, you've been watching the NBA, and as you said, you're like you're a much bigger NBA fan than than Cal and I. Um, do you think the star treatment now is more than what Jordan got, or or those guys got in that day? I really don't think I can can comment too much on it, just simply because I, I don't remember, you know. Jordan star treatment. I remember hearing about it, but I didn't watch enough basketball games with Jordan to say right. what it's like comparatively. I mean, I I would say it's probably the same. Just judging, I don't I don't know. I wouldn't be able to say it's much worse. Okay, that's no, that's fair. I mean, I I just I I don't remember it all that well either. It seems more. I mean, I watched obviously we watched a lot of Knicks Bulls series back in the day, and it seemed like Jordan got every call, but he was Jordan. You know, he was also shooting the ball 35 or 40 times. And, you know, like it's just it was a different game then because because the hand checking rules were different. You could, you know, Charles Oakley wouldn't be able to play for 15 minutes in the league right now. Like he'd be he'd be right. he'd be out of he'd be out of every game at the 10 minute mark of the first quarter. You know, like that you just you, could, you couldn't have Anthony Mason on an NBA team today. You know, they just they, they just right. they, they they couldn't play the defense that they played, they can't play the defense that they played then. So it's, I, I get that it's a different game, but it just seems that with LeBron and with Durant, and, and maybe Durant doesn't get, do you think Durant gets the same calls that LeBron does? I don't think yet. Yeah, I don't think so either. You've got to earn that, right? I mean, we talk about it all the time with Tavares and, you know, with, with John Tavares and, and Sidney Crosby, right? We saw that in full display, Cal, in the Islanders-Penguins series last year. Which was, Sidney Crosby got calls that John Tavares just didn't. Right. He wasn't a superstar enough yet. Speaking of, Evan, I want to keep you on the line here, and I want to bring uh, the Bishop back for a really quick fun load. It's really good. How are um, you? <laughs> is, that your, is that your new catchphrase? I, I bring a new one every week. <laughs> All right, the, the, the scatting. The, the great Satchmo, yes. He's back, everybody. Um, so a buddy of mine that I uh, play baseball with on my new team told me a story the other night at the game that I, just, I had to share with you guys, and then I kind of want to parlay it into your best personal story about an athlete, like your best brush with an athlete sort of thing. Uh, it could be when you were a kid. It could be as an adult, whatever it is. But, uh, Ev, uh, you know Joe Gilly, the guy who plays center field for us on the baseball team? Right. The other, night, the, the other night, the Rangers were playing, and he's a huge Islander fan. So we were talking about the Islanders and the Rangers on the bench or whatever. And he grew up on Long Island, and Joe's, you know, Joe's probably about five or six years older than us, so he was really 
around for the Islander Cup years and a really huge Islander fan. So, and he hates the Rangers, like to the, to the Sam Pete level. Like his most hated team in professional sports, my most team, hated team in professional sports. It's nice. It's simpatico. And so he starts telling the story about Ron Greshner. Ron Greshner, the old defenseman for the Rangers, number four in your programs. Ron Greshner is married to, I think still Cal, right? Me? No, he's not married to me. <laughs> didn't, work, didn't work out with you guys? Nah. It's a shame because it would be legal now. Ron Greshner was married to Carol Alt at the time. Yes. So Joe's telling the story about Ron Greshner and Carol, because Carol Alt's from Long Island as well. Right. She's from uh, Willis, Williston. East Williston or something like that. And she, she used to work at the Friendlies that they used to go to. She was a waitress at the Friendlies that they used to go to. So, of course, we started joking about, yes, Dad, I need another fribble. We're going back to Friendlies. That's your 17th fribble today. I don't care. Get me a Reese's Pieces Sunday stat. Um, they got married in the church by their house this big church on Long Island in Nassau County. So one of the Islander fans, who was a little older than Joe, got, no joke, 150 people to show up at the church in Islander jerseys. For Ron Greshner's wedding? At Ron Greshner and Carol Alt's wedding. Because so it's a church. It was a public, it's a public church. So there in the back of this huge church are 150 Islander fans in Islander jerseys. Chanting 1940. That's great. I thought it was, it was tremendous. Like, they, they ruined Ron Greshner's wedding. That's the <laughs> hatred. That's the level of hatred that Islander fans have for... And he said his, his older brother was doing donuts in the parking lot of the church. And they were coming out for all their pictures and stuff. He was, he was doing donuts, like, skidding all over the parking lot and everything. And I just thought that was the best story. Like, that, that encapsulates how much Islander and Ranger fans hate each other. Or hate, you know, their respective teams. Well, that's like the Ranger fans that uh, would chant, Podman sucks at the circus. Right, right. <laughs> All of a sudden, someone start whistling at the circus at the garden. <laughs> and then the whole place would just chant it. So I want to get your guys' best. Give me a good personal athlete story. You know, maybe you met one, or you had a brush with one, or give me, give me a good one. What do you got? Who's going first? PJ? I know how much you hobnob with professional athletes. Um, they don't spend a lot of time with me. Although the world's strongest man, Bill Kazmaier, uh, he, he's cool as anything. And, and he used to come into uh, voiceover sessions. Super friendly guy. And he noticed that when, when whenever we did sessions, we ate like crap. And he's like, "Guys, you can't, you can't live like this." It's like, you've got thirty cans of Diet Coke on the counter. You cannot do this. He's lecturing so he, you. Yeah. So while we were doing the show, uh, that like we because we did like twenty World Strongest Man shows at once. Um, so on the days where we were doing that, he would actually come in early. He found. Um, a vegetarian uh, deli, like a juice bar, deli, vegan health food place, 
and he brought back all this health food for us. Like, every day he'd walk in with, like, big, um, like, all-green drinks, like, you know, with kale and spinach and, like, guys, you got to, this is what you got to drink. This will keep you going all day, guys, I promise. And is then he, he in, like, the... Of- is he in the unitard and everything? Like, is he? Does he come to the the studio sessions? In well, the world's strongest man, they were totally. <laughs> It'll help the story. He was absolutely dressed like a 1939 wrestler in the unitard and <laughs> the headgear. Right. Yeah, and he would I drop all it. kinds of health food on the desk and everything, and be like, "Now you eat this, and I don't want to catch you eating pizza." And when the world's strongest man. Tells you he doesn't want to catch you eating pizza. You don't eat you don't, the pizza. You don't talk back. No. You don't. He'll put he'll put you in a refrigerator and throw the refrigerator. <laughs> That's right. I will chuck he will, you. He will he will he will put you on a log and pick you up and take you from one side of the studio to the other side of the studio. It's both terrifying and hilarious. <laughs> He will put you on an airliner and pull that airliner. <laughs> and you, will, you won't know what's going on. You'll be moving very slowly. Very slowly. <laughs> but still, frightening. That will keep you off pizza, my friend. Another sports story is um, I'm known for being the guy who is not afraid to crack wise with anybody. Like, I, I just, I don't know. I just don't care. So it, it could have been Walter Cronkite or, you know, or, I don't know, Sue Simmons or anybody. It could have, could have been, it could have been Mayor Giuliani at the time, could have been there. Everybody's being all respectful, and I would say something Which like, nice tie, idiot, or something like that. Which, so, which of those? Which of those three? It's <laughs> just a little out of Walter Cronkite, Sue Simmons, and Mayor Giuliani. Who do you think commands the most respect in my building? Right. Sue Simmons. That's right. Without a doubt, you do not mess she with takes, Sue Simmons. She takes absolutely no nonsense. She takes no guff. You yeah. called her an idiot. He called Sue Simmons an idiot. That's not a great no, idea. No, I didn't. No, no. But, but it's, everybody knows that, like, I'm the person. It's not. I'm also extremely respectful to people and a oh, sure. professional guy. Sounds like But it. if there is a second opportunity of a, just a second for somebody to drop in an inappropriate line, I make sure I do it because I have that personality disorder. <laughs> inappropriate, inappropriate response personality disorder? Yeah. So, uh, IRPD. So, so when Tiger Woods, when Tiger Woods' entourage was was in the building for some reason, oh they deliberately kept me on a different floor. <laughs> you were drinking. So it wasn't a brush with greatness. Yeah. It was it was a uh, sequestration from greatness. <laughs> I love it. A sequestration from greatness. I yeah, need to PJ, get to the fourth floor, not till later. PJ, you've been quarantined. Pretty much. Because Pretty of much. your inappropriate response disorder, IRD. I have, a, I have a mouth. Someday we will find a cure in our lifetime for IRD. 
It's called, it's called being a stand-up comic. No, no. That's the therapy for IRD. Um, maybe I should try it. I, I love that. What, uh, Cal, you got a brush with a, a good brush with a celeb or a sports, sports star? I wish I did. I don't really. Man, even when you were a kid, nobody gave you an autograph, nothing? Yeah, what did I get? I, I took a picture with Art Howe at baseball camp. So did I. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you and I went to the same baseball. Well, yeah, and 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 I, if I look back at that picture today, he couldn't look more like a cardboard cutout. I'm not a hundred percent sure it was actually him. I mean, he had that a plastic. cardboard, and you convinced yourself on the ride home that it was him. It could. I mean, it's been a long time. I might be misplaying it in my head, but yeah. But I met him. I met Wally Bachman. He was a little more human. The great thing about Art Howe is I only at that baseball camp is I only got to go to one session of baseball camp. Like just the just the one my mother found out about it late or messed up signing me up or something. Completely throwing my mother under the bus there. Uh, but um and and but I had been hearing about this Smithtown baseball camp for years. Years from guys like you, people in my little league, everybody. And the, and and the big one of the big attractions was you get to meet a major league player at the end of it. And I'll never forget me and McWalters and Scott, my brother, went to baseball camp that for that session too, finding out that it was Art Howe for that particular session. The disappointment could oh. was, was palpable because I if if I recall correctly, I I R C. As the kids say. <laughs> um, there was a Met there in the session before us. Yes, of course. I don't know who the Met was. But, it doesn't matter. It was I, Art Howe. Yeah, I remember there being a Met before us and being excited that we were going to meet a ball player, and then it turned out to be Art Howe. Art Howe. Right. The other notable that the other notable thing about that Smithtown baseball camp, that particular session, was one of our coaches was of course Craig Biggio. Right who was, at the time, I think a junior at Seton Hall. Um, and he's the one who made me a catcher. He was the first uh, coach to put me behind the plate because he said, you're fat and you throw hard. Does that I count? mean, he didn't, say, he didn't say that exactly. Those were his exact wow. words. Does that count as an athlete encounter? No, not at the time. No, but, but now if you look back on it, sure, can you count that? I could, but I have... I'm sure, I'm sure you have many others, but... I not, I not many others. I have one great one that's stuck with me forever. And it, it, I, I, at the University of Dayton, I befriended, um, through watching Islander games somewhere in Ohio, <laughs> before there was like satellite TV and stuff like that, and we found one bar that showed Islander games while they were making their run uh, to the Eastern Conference Finals, um, I befriended uh, Al Arbor's daughter, Janice Arbor, who went to the University of Dayton. And uh, was a, uh, is just a, a great girl. We became uh, uh, friendly, and, and she was super cool. And it was really wild to watch Islander playoff games with Janice Arbor, who... Besides, Kevin and I was obviously the only other Islander fan in the state of Ohio at that time. And um, 
there's lots of other things because we did become friendly, but the, the coolest one was the first time we flew home for Thanksgiving after we had become friends. Actually, I think it was for – might have been for right, – it's, it's not important. But it was the first time we flew home after – no, it was Thanksgiving. After we became friends. And when you did that at the University of Dayton, everybody was on the same flight. Everybody that was from New York was on the same flight home for Thanksgiving. And so we were all on the same flight, and we got off, and my dad was there to pick me up, and her dad was there to pick her up. And it was, her dad happens to be Al Arbor. And, you know, we, all, we were all, and that was when you could still wait at the gate. Like, you didn't have to wait downstairs or in baggage or any of that stuff. Like, you could wait, somebody could be waiting for you at the gate. Right. You have to go through security and stuff. So my dad, who has no idea who Al Arbor is, because he's not a hockey fan and he's a Ranger fan if he is, um, has no idea. He's standing next to Al Arbor, like just talking to him. And of course, I get off the plane with Janice and a couple of other people, and you know she introduces me to Al Arbor, and I shook his hand, and he's got one of his Stanley Cup rings on, but he's just he was just Janice's dad. Mm-hmm. And here I'm meeting this legendary Islander coach for the first time, and he's just a regular guy, just a regular dad picking up his daughter from college. And he was really nice and down to earth. And so we get in the car, we're driving back, and I'm like, Dad, do you... Dad, you, you were talking to Al Arby. He's like, uh, who's that? Al seems like a nice... The guy seems like a nice guy. He's got a bit of an accent. <laughs> yes, yes, Dad, he's Canadian. Um, so that was my, that was an early brush with a legendary sports figure that was very normal. That's a good like, one. Yeah, it was like everyday life. Like I just, I shook Al Arbor's hand. It was not that yeah. big a deal. It wasn't at like a meeting, like a, you know, meet and greet autograph session or any of that stuff. Hey, he was picking up his daughter. Hey, Steve, nice to meet you. And me, of course, saying, I love you so much. Oh, that was awkward. And that was uh, that's one of my, my one of my early brushes. That was just a, a life brush. <laughs> I still want I still want my money back for Art Hal. <laughs> I had uh, I had one more uh, thing, but we could wrap if you want, guys. I will say, Peach, I watched Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley. I watched the premiere episode. I haven't watched any since. Really good, Cal. That's on the HBO, really isn't it? That's on the HBO. Right. You're out. No. We, did you say you were watching Last Comic Standing tonight instead of the Metropolitans? That's right. Season premiere I have of two, Last Comic Standing. I have two questions. Hi, is, Steve, uh, Steve Sampietro, RTU? What network yes. is that on? <laughs> NBC. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, the answer is J.B. Smoove. Is the host. He's funny. Yes, if that was the question that you were going to ask. It's not. Oh. Question one. Um, so this was instead of watching the Met game. Yes, you're violating the rule of RTU 177. <laughs> By violating rules one and two. I'm not so talking about the Mets. I just asked a question. Okay. Yes, I, I was watching that instead of the Met game. Follow up. Steve Sampietro, RTU? Yeah, go ahead. 
Was that a flipping around situation? Or did you purposefully go to Last Comic Standing? No. We wound up on it. That was a flipping around situation. It was a flipping around situation. Happened upon the very beginning of the first episode of the season. Sure. And immediately season passed it. <laughs> what? Immediately. Hit record twice. Hit record twice. have it all. Let me, let me ask you, uh, 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 removing people like Richard Pryor, uh, George Carlin, and, and those people, who are, who are your top comedians? Oh. By the way, uh, Paige, I'm going to ask you to preface all questions for Cal with where you're from and who you write for, please. Who, Thanks. who are you affiliated with? Who are you affiliated with, please. Right. Bishop Big Donut, RTU Sports. I just want to hear you say that in a press conference once. How you doing? Uh, yes, Mr. President, Bishop Big Donut from RTU Sports. Bishop Big Donut, RTU Sports. <laughs> wow, who are you got? So you're asking the Mark, you're asking the Mark Marin question, the WTF question. Who are your, who are your guys apart from the, you know the, the the pantheon of pantheon? Don't say Cosby because everybody likes Cosby. Who are your guys though? On the spot. So, no, are we, we, and we're not talking now, right? We're talking growing up comedic influences? Oh, no, 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 no. Because mine, mine well, differ. They, of course, pick, they're pick, very pick different. A, give me a couple from the day, and then give me people you really enjoy hearing now. Okay. Okay. Or do who you enjoy going? hearing anyone now? You know who I really liked back in the day? The day. Howie Mandel. That's a tough special to beat. It's a good special. Ah, it's very really? good. Okay. I like that special too, Cal. Right? Can I preface this by asking, can I preface this by saying first that I was a huge stand-up comedy fan. I mean huge. From mm-hmm. Me too. Like, like age like nine on. No, really. Like I, uh, albums. My dad had albums. I started listening. Well, yeah, yeah. Cosby albums when I was like nine or ten. Yeah. Because they were clean and they were great. And I, I would say until comedy took off, like and boomed. I, I, I like every young comedian special, every Dangerfield, you know, young comedian special. I was all over. Let me. So you guys were too. I wanted to. Not like that, but yeah, I remember those shows. Okay. okay. Bob Nelson. Bob Nelson. I mean, it's, it's, it's a tremendous... You can still, I bet you recite some of the football bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bruce Koskowski. That's the yeah. one. Yeah, that's the one everybody remembers. <laughs> um, Who you got? Give me, give me one from the day. And then I want to hear if PJ's got one. Oh, PJ's got several. He just throws it I out there. I have done. I hate comedy. I don't like to laugh. <laughs> I'm a serious man. I don't know if we've discussed this before. A serious learned man. We yeah. took out, uh, so we took out, you took out like five, four or five of my big ones, of my biggest ones, which is fine. Already? Yeah. Well, no, it's R S T L N and E, and, you know, it's, 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 it's final wheel. Yeah. We give you those. I'll give you... Eddie Murphy. I mean, can I say Eddie Murphy? I mean, Eddie, I mean, Delirious was 
ridiculous. I Absolutely feel like ridiculous. I feel like Eddie Murphy is one of the RST LNE. Yeah, I think I think okay, that's fair. Well, well, how about this? Let's do that. Who are those? Who are those comedians? Eddie Murphy, Bill Cosby, George George Carlin, Carlin, Richard Pryor, Pryor, Rodney Dangerfield. I want to say Dangerfield? Maybe I had one of his albums. It was fantastic. Like you're talking the Pantheon. Yeah. That everybody was influenced by in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, I guess you have to put him in there. I think. There was a special that I loved. <laughs> I loved Kinnison. I did love Kinnison very early on. Yeah. I mean, that first Young Comedian special with Kinnison was uh, huge. But I, I, he's not an influence, though. I just found him funny. Uh, oh, Don, uh, Don Rickles. Don Rickles. Got to be in the Pantheon. I remember seeing Jerry Seinfeld on Letterman. Yeah. Early. Yeah. And and him doing the routine about the socks and the dryer. Because the dryer is the nightclub of socks. <laughs> and that's why they get lost in there, like they cling to the wall because it's so much fun and and how his parents moved down to Florida and they didn't want to, but they're sixty five and that's the law. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I still can remember exactly that bit. Peach, give me, yeah. give me, give me one out of the pantheon that that was a big influence as, on you as a kid. But, yeah, com- comedians that that uh, I've just carried with me forever. Um, my dad had a Jose Jimenez album. Wow, remember short, that? Short Bill stuff Dana. for the Cardinals. <laughs> that was player. another one. It, it was it was clean. Right. And so you could, you know, you could hand it to your third grader and go, here, it's comedy, listen. Now, there's the Newhart album. My dad had the Bob Newhart oh, album. Bob Newhart. Mm-hmm. I think albums like that affected, for guys like you and me, uh, Steve, our timing. Yes. I, I mean, and, and not, just, not, not just when we're, like, trying to be on, but... It's just natural conversational timing. I think a lot comes from those albums. I would totally agree with that. Totally uh, agree. Don Myrera. Um, I was just going to say that, from that Dangerfield special. Yep. He really, really like stood out. Do you? I don't. <laughs> Do you? I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I went back and watched uh, specifically Don Myrera early, and I was crying at the uh you know the the bit about his neighborhood or whatever you know me my wife's my wife's a two-time and oh my daughter's <laughs> dating some strunge i gotta i gotta boil on my butt that's so bad i can't sit down but you know me i can't complain <laughs> <laughs> everybody was there little Petey, big Petey, in between Petey. come you know come, you- you know, who I found that I never. <laughs> comedian I found that I never thought I would like, but it turns out I really like just about every line of his stuff. Uh, the guy who just died, John Panette. Oh yeah. He, he's uh, another. He, he's another young comedian's guy, though. Yeah. That bit, that that routine, the four hours routine. Yeah. The, 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 Chinese, the, Chinese, buffet. the Chinese buffet. Yeah. Isn't 
isn't it amazing, guys, how you can still there I can still like recite you know word for word these routines mm-hmm. still like twenty five years late I tell you who's a guy I saw very early on in the late eighties that I remember liking quite a bit was Marin. you saw him live no, no, I saw him I was like sixteen I saw him on like what was the 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 m t v show that he hosted premium blend okay. or whatever it was. But I saw him on like a, you know, a, what was the VH1 show that Rosie O'Donnell hosted or something like that. Right. You know, I saw him on one of those and I really liked him. That's one of the reasons I, when, I, when WTF started <laughs> about a week before our show, by the way, in December of 2009. He's up to 500 episodes, by the way. He's doing his 500 episode next week. We've only done 177, so. Right. We, don't, we don't do three a week. Yeah, that's true. Right. But, um was one of the reasons I latched onto it was because I liked him a lot. I had listened to him on Air America a little bit when he was on Air America and I had remembered his stand up and I always liked his stand up. So I thought this would be cool. This is like a guy a comedian interviewing comedians. Mm-hmm. And I, I and I fell out of love with stand up somewhere along the way. I loved stand up. Love you but you still like it now. I do. I will not watch it. It's got to be. It's got to be a big guy, or one of your guys. That's it. I can't. I used to, Cal. I used to sit there and watch like Comedy Central and just watch comedian after comedian. Well, that's what this well, last comic standing you know, is. Right. You got too good at it, though. That's why you know yep. it's, it, you're like a, a a really good musician going to see uh, mediocre bands. You're like, I don't have time for this. Yep. I need and to it's see what, the good people. And it's what Marin talks about all the time with these comedians that live through it is that, you know, they put up a microphone and a, you know, in front of any brick wall anywhere in the country and all of a sudden you got a comedy club. I'll tell you the guy I came to late, but earlier than a lot of people is Bill Hicks. Mm. I think I came to Hicks in 98. So he's already probably, what did he die, 93, 94? 94, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I, you know, he was already gone about four years, but I came to Hicks in that time. And that was a pretty seminal time for me. I was only 24. Mm-hmm. So that's still like a pretty influential time uh, for Jay Hicks. Jay Moore has tremendous stand-up. You know what? He's another guy that I really liked early on. Really yeah. liked. Great storyteller. Yeah. Well, where do you where do you where do you guys stand on that that though? Like, there's joke tellers and then there's long form. Mm-hmm. And I sort of like who's okay. Give me your number one guy right now. Of both. No, give me give me give me overall. If the, if the if the guy has if the guy or girl has because uh, I loved Wendy Liebman by the way, probably my favorite female comedian of all time. <laughs> And even though her delivery system was what it was, she was smart and funny, and I loved Wendy Liebman. Um, but give me your guy or girl now where new hour material, you're watching it the day it comes out. Well, Louis C.K. It is, right? Yeah. I got I to tell you who's a close second for me now. Though, it's Patton Oswalt. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, he's really good. <laughs> and I haven't seen his latest... 
what is it, comedy plus <laughs> tragedy equals time or something like that? Yeah, comedy plus tragedy equals time. Yeah. Um, but his, he's right there. He's right there. He's the nerd king. Yep. Yeah, the other guy that I really like is Jim Gaffigan. You know, he's, he's and I remember King from back in the day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I saw Gaffigan open for Chappelle. Wow. That was a show. (laughs) That was a show, 1997. Wow. That's something. That was a show. It was really, really good. What's the best? You know, I haven't seen that much live comedy. No, me neither. What's the best live you've ever seen, Peach? Is it that show? Uh, that sh- that show was really tremendous. Um, I remember not being able to breathe uh, during the second Eddie Izzard show, oh. and um, I, I, I I literally fell off my chair at Alan King, going way back like 1980, 1985 or 1986. We went to go see Alan King, and man, did he kill! You know, I got to put Eddie Izzard in there. You're, you're absolutely he was probably right. doing it's, material it's, that was 35 years old, but what did I know? And it still killed, right? It, I mean, you know, I didn't know that it, you know, it was probably rehashing stuff, but it was, man, so funny. We, when we saw him at Radio City, Peach, um, Eddie Izzard, I mean, and he's a guy I came to in 2002, maybe. Mm-hmm. But, you know, with Dress to Kill. Mm-hmm. Dress to Kill is, is by far probably one of my favorite hours of comedy, of stand-up comedy. It's it's ridiculous, and he's a rock star. I've seen him twice, right? We saw him at the Beacon, and we saw him at Radio City. We saw him at uh, was it the Beacon Hall. or Town Hall? It yeah. was Town Hall, and then Radio City. Town Hall was the one where I I literally lost consciousness yeah, for we, a second during the encore. I have I have never laughed <laughs> like that ever. I couldn't see. Yeah, that's the, that's, that's the best. That's probably the best stand-up I've ever seen. It was like it was like Cal. It was like seeing a band, like a rock band, at the height of their power. Like seeing Zeppelin at the Garden in like '74. Yeah, he was yeah. just everything he did worked. You know, every it, I I got to give a close second to seeing Dom Irera once at Caroline's, just doing a set because our, our my buddy Terry had a mutual friend from Philly and Terry at the time was trying to do stand up as well. So he called Damirara and said, I'm going to send a buddy of mine down to go see your show. So we went down to see, my face hurt. Like my face hurt <laughs> from laughing. And then we met him after <laughs> the show and he was just Damirara. He was the same guy. Like he's talking to Terry and he's like, oh, and, and, and you, so you're going to do stand up. So what, you're going to be that guy. You're going to be what? The little bald guy. That's your thing. And then who's this guy? I'm like, uh, uh, I, Hey, my name's Steve. Uh, you know, but I'm, I'm not a comedian. I'm just an actor. Oh, you're just an actor. Is that what you are? You're just an actor. So you're going to take your 90210 sideburns and your little soap opera looks and you're just an actor, right? And you're going to get all the jobs that your little short bald friend here is not going to get, right? Because you're just an actor. Like he didn't, he didn't miss a beat. Like he turned, and he was all in. He was totally in good natured and everything. And the P.S. is, we saw him three years later in L.A. at a bar, and he remembered us, called us over to the table, and bought us a drink. Wow. Yep. How do you like that? Yep. Super. I mean, my face 
he he did bits in that particular stand-up that I saw that I've never seen him do again. And they were offsides and just magnificent. He did an hour. He just it, he killed. He killed. Yeah. So 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 good. I I gotta put Pat Oswalt in that group though. Right now for current guys. You know, I, I don't, and I'm trying to think, there's, there's one comedy special that I had the tape of that I feel like I should be ashamed of, but I'm not. Did you guys like Dice? No. I mean, young, come on, young comedian special, first time you saw Dice? I, I guess I did because I was young, so. We were like in eighth grade. Yeah, so I guess it was cool at the time, but. I, I think Dice is hilarious. I think the character got a little bit old. But that that guy is unbelievably funny. Did you, do you see the sprint commercials he's doing now, where he's the hamster in the hamster ball? No. Oh but my want... god, he's he's the he's the voice of a hamster. You got to look for these. <laughs> he uh, his WTF was fantastic. It really was. Yeah. Very 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 interesting. I think I think WTF too has changed the game for. Me with a lot of these guys mm-hmm. and girls really has because there's oh the, yeah I mean you listen to WTF and there was a, and specifically there was a comedian Nate Bargetti yeah yeah I che- I checked his stuff out after listening to him with Marin and he's great yep that's great you know Jim Jeffries is like that yep you know after hearing him on WTF and checking out his stuff and mm-hmm. I've found so much stand up. Because of that show. Right. And because of WTF. I mean, definitely. And the funny thing is, I, I don't like Marin's stand-up as much anymore. Like, I, I watched Thinky Pain, and it's, it's pretty good. It's okay. Uh, but he, he's, his best stuff is his 10-minute monologue at, you know, an open of a show, uh, of a WTF. Like that's far better stuff. But some, I absolutely Cal, and and we would be remiss we if we're going to close this conversation without mentioning Paul F. Tompkins. He's a genius because he's he's a guy because of Comedy Bang Bang. I went and checked out his stand up, and he's a guy I remember. I remember his first special, Cal. I remember the 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 one that's in the bar, right? What is it like Last Call or something like that, or or where he you know he talks. It's basically based on beer. And I remember it was like fat Paul F. Tompkins. Yeah, he was big. Yep. But his last special, Laboring Under Delusions, uh, is... Peach, if you haven't seen that yet, it is so not. choice. Oh, my goodness. Is that the one when he talked about opening for the rock band? Or... <laughs> was it Motley Crue? No, it was... <laughs> Who was it? At the Viper At the Viper Room. At the Viper Room, yeah. Oh, who was it? Oh, it's so good. I felt like it was Motley Crue. He has, he has like a six-minute bit on the can of <laughs> peanut brittle. You know, peanut brittle as a gag gift, <laughs> and it's it's literally like a six-minute bit page on just how ridiculous that is. And just getting taken by it, like the guy gets, I love peanut brittle, and I love it in the can form even more. I mean, how great is this? And, and just somebody giving it to him at a party, and, oh, oh, <laughs> this snakes, 
snakes in the peanut brittle in the can that I love so much. Who would do this? Why would this happen? Why would there be snakes in the brittle? Like, like who's, who's getting taken by this? By this threat? <laughs> and he just sets it. Laboring under, under delusions has the, uh, the bit about working with... Um, um, on uh, There Will Be Blood, working with Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, right. Well, the, the, the entire bit is called The Rules of Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> it's like, you know, cause, so I'm going to be working with him, you know, and, and uh, you know, I had heard he's a little intense, and it turns out he's the most intense human being in the world. <laughs> and he was just sitting in a chair, just sitting there, just sitting there, and I was, it was as if a, a wild cat had been released into the room. <laughs> oh, oh, what are the rules for Daniel Day-Lewis? Should I move? Do I not move? So good. He's good. Now I have a to-do list. I like that. Yeah, he's choice. Check him out. Yep, he is absolutely great. All right, boys, let's bring it to a close. Close okay. time. Bishop Big Donut. Final unload. Final unload. I bought myself a foot grinder. The only way I could describe it. This is <laughs> this is an appliance. It looks like an electric razor at first, but on the top, instead, there is a grinding stone that rolls and rolls and rolls, and you apply it to your foot, and apparently it doesn't just rip the flesh off, but it gently grinds down your dry skin to make my feet baby soft. I'm going to be breaking it in tomorrow because I need to have nice feet. There's got to be a better name. But to me, it's a foot grinder. <laughs> Cal, final unload. <laughs> hey, Montreal, back in the series tonight. Montreal Canadiens, 3-2 winners in overtime over the Rangers. They're down two games to one. They're back in the series. Team of Destiny, maybe not quite yet. Magnifique. And my final unload is... Hey, the Islanders signed a goaltender today, didn't they, Cal? They did. Yaroslav Halak. Welcome to the New York Islanders. Great job by Gar Snow. Credit where credit is due. Got it done. I'm excited about the Islanders. Because we're not going to talk about them as... Okay, that's it for Ready to Unload with Cal and Sam Pete. I am Steve Sampietro for Brian Calvi and PJ Cachopo. Thank you so much for listening. Go to rtusports.com and go to iTunes and download the podcast. And we will talk to you guys next Tuesday when we will have DJ Short on the show, Cal. That's right. Yep. We'll have a very special guest. Peach, good night. Cal, good night. Let's go. I got one question about the Mets. (laughs) Shut up. Is there time? Good job by you.